In a sports world full of one-sided takes and agendas, one man has the courage to tell both sides of the story. And let's talk about the NBA bubble. This season has been a success. Flip the script. This has also been deadly dull. What do you say? Welcome to the Turning Points Podcast. I'm Jake Rongholt. This is where we tell the reality within the story. There is no right. There is no wrong. Just facts to both sides. You were serious about that? Plus, we have great guests, including Fox 5 Atlanta sports reporter Kelly Price. There's beat writer for the Riot Report. Antoine Staley now joins us on the line. So enough talk. It's time to tell both sides in five, four, three, two, one. And I'm always a believer in this, Jake, and I don't know how you believe it. This continues to rattle my brain. The Turning Points Podcast starts right now. There was some big breaking news that happened. You know, we had the Big Ten. They're coming back October 24th. And then Joe Buck. I mean, Joe Buck is going to the Pro Football Hall of Fame to join the likes of Kirk Gowdy and Al Michaels. And I saw uh, with the Browns and the Bengals game, a terrific package, three minutes narrated by Paul Rudd. And it couldn't happen to a better person. I mean, you're talking about someone who has been in this business for 25 years alone in pro football. He started his career at age 25 doing football play-by-play for Fox Sports when they were on the, the when they were trying to grow as an NFL enterprise. And look what's happened now. So congratulations to Joe Buck. As for the Big Ten. I got to tell you, I mean, there's both sides to this. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see it's back because we're going to have, you know, the likes of Wisconsin, Ohio State, Michigan. Those will be the three teams. Oh, and Penn State as well. So those four teams could represent the Big Ten for an opportunity at the college football playoff. I am glad to see that. However, look to the other side of the story. And I got to tell you, you know. There is problems right now at the University of Wisconsin. A 7% of their student population tested positive for COVID-19. 88% of that alone tested pos- tested it on pre-existing health conditions or they just have a difference in it as well. Plus, it's amazing how they are using the exact same COVID-19 measure that the pros are doing, NBA, Major uh, Major League Baseball, uh, NFL, and they're doing the one that the NFL is doing. And I just don't buy into it because now you're saying to them, football players, important students, you're on your own. And I don't really buy into that. We understand we had protests. We had outcry. Bring back the Big Ten football season. You're going to have eight games. But at the same time, where were the protests? Where was the outcry? For the students that were testing positive for COVID-19, I just got to know. Now, enough talk. We had two guests on this week. We had Matt Fralick from the Pack-A-Day podcast to talk about Packers and Lions. Plus, we had Chris Clark of the Locked On Chiefs podcast to break down what to expect from the Chiefs this year and uh, break down the Chiefs and the Chargers matchup coming up this Sunday. So let's get to it. Our first guest was Matt Fralick from the Pack-A-Day podcast. Had a lot of great things to say, but you won't believe what he said about no fans in the stands. So let's get to it. Here's Matt Fralick, Pack-A-Day Podcast on the Turning Points Podcast, where we tell both sides of the story. There is no right, there is no wrong, just facts. Let's get to it. Hey, so breaking news came in as we are recording the Turning Points Podcast, where we tell both sides of the story. I'm Jake Rongholt. Tweet me at at Sports. That's R-O-N-G-H-O-L-T Sports. 
I, I can't believe this. This guy has been doing this job for almost 25 years, especially in pro football. Joe Buck is going to go in into the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a broadcaster, joining the likes of Kirk Gowdy and Al Michaels. And I mean, I got to say right out the gate here, I am happy as ever for Joe Buck. He's one of the best in the business. He is in baseball. He is in football. And I know that it's kind of interesting. I've talked to a lot of Packer fans. They kind of have kind of a love-hate kind of relationship. But uh, our next guest actually has a little bit, like a little bit of a forgiveness. Kind of feels like he kind of grew on him over the years. He is Matt Fralick, and he is from the Pack-A-Day podcast. Uh, you can tweet him at, at Matt underscore Fra underscore. And he now joins us live here. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what are you thinking right now about Joe Buck getting in? It's crazy. So they were like teasing it towards the end of the first half, right? And they're talking about the gold jacket and whatnot. And I was like, <laughs> Troy Aiken. I was like, I didn't even look into it. I don't even know if Troy Aiken's a, a Hall of Famer. It doesn't really matter. But and then all of a sudden I look back and I'm like, oh, they're they're giving Joe Buck the Hall of Fame in the, uh, you know, the announcers <laughs> of the broadcast Hall of Fame. And it seems like 25 years, but that seems like a long time. And seems longer than it's been and then also i feel like he should have been in already like the guy's iconic man just from baseball especially and football and you'd be right i mean packers fans i would say i've grown with them a little maybe a, little, a slightly <laughs> ahead of the curve but most of them are not fond of joe buck and i don't know if it's because the like just the tie with troy aikman too but maybe isolated by himself in a vacuum he'd be good but props to joe buck and the first uh, father-son duo going into the the Hall of Fame as well. Yeah, for some reason, Packer fans just can't stand him, especially during Packers Cowboys. But I say you shouldn't be thinking that. You should be thinking that when Troy Aikman is the commentator, especially during a Cowboys game. I mean, all Joe Buck is doing is, well, his job. And he showed humility as he was also awarded with this. You know, Paul Rudd did the narration for it. Uh, it, it was really special to see. And, uh, you know, just as a young broadcaster, I'm just I'm happy to see something like that happen especially with Pro Football Hall of Fame President David Baker doing the honors. So that's pretty awesome. All right. So we got the breaking news out of the way. Packers-Lions. Now, this is interesting to me because this is going to be the first time since the Green Bay Packers opened up Lambeau Field that they will not have fans in the stands. What are you feeling right now at this atmosphere? No fans in the stands is weird, man. I mean, I'm concerned that well, for one, I don't know how, you know, I live in Green Bay, so I don't know how people are going to travel here this weekend. Um, I'm sure fanatics are still going to show up to want to tailgate, right? And you can't do it within the confines of um, 1265 Lombardi Ave, but you're still able to do it everywhere else where everyone tailgates, right? In the, you know, 10 by 10 mile radius exaggeration. But there'll be a lot of people. I'm excited to see it. It's going to be super bizarre. Like I said, they'll still have no fans. Um, Maybe there'll be a Lambo leap. Maybe there'll be, you know, does someone fall over and just, you know, they don't have anyone to catch them or any, uh, you know, fears to, uh, to soil them, but it'll be strange. It'll be very odd. Uh, I'm sure it'll just going to be kind of eerie, especially in an outdoor stadium. You played inside us bank stadium last weekend. So it didn't look as bizarre, but it'll yeah. look a little bit different now, but um, I am excited for the real football in green Bay and um, yeah. Uh, opening weekend in uh, title town. What word do you have to say about the week one victory over the Vikings? I would just say momentum, really. Like, it's not a great word, but I just feel like it's compared to last year in the 
week one matchup versus the Bears and just kind of early on in the in the 2019 campaign under the first year of LaFleur, like they, they just came out hot. And I mean, it took a couple drives to, to be honest. I was watching on defense and I wasn't happy with the run D. That was pretty concerning, but um, they turned it around that Jair Alexander safety um, instinct plan play, just pure Jarrett Bush, right place, right time. Doesn't really matter. It still made a huge, <laughs> huge impact on the game. And it was, they kind of just rode that through it. Just a, a steamroll. I mean, the, the Vikings came back a little bit, but that's what I would say is momentum going into week two and um, another tough divisional matchup. What are the thoughts about Marquez Valdez Scantling in his maturation process? Dude, my, my thoughts were it was a three second video I posted on Sunday. It was just catch the ball. Like, really? Please, please catch the ball. That's all I want. That's, this this is what you said. Want. Wait a minute. T- tell that's us exactly. all about this video. Tell it how it all went down. Three seconds. I'm sitting. He drops the second pass. I'm like, I need to tweet this. Just face recording me. Just catch the ball. That's all the advice I had for him at that point. I have no other advice. I've never been a professional football player. I played receiver up in some maybe seventh grade and in junior high. So I have nothing to say. Intramural, intramural stud in high school and college, maybe. But um, he's just got to catch the damn rock. But I was watching. This is on Thursday. We're recording this. Um, Aaron Rodgers had his press conference, I believe it was on Wednesday, I think about it. Yeah, it was Wednesday. And he just talked about um, the confidence that MVS has. And it's it's probably true. He probably does have some confidence, but there's definitely some – I'm not sure what it is when you're not you know, catching wide open balls or balls you have. That should be a, a you know a touchdown when you have two or three steps in front of the defensive back. So um, confidence is great, but we got to uh, got to figure it out between the ears when we get on the field for MVS. But I, I think he'll develop this year a little bit more. What could the development of MVS do for the Packers receivers in 2020? Man, it's, it's vital. I mean, you look at, so I always reference back the draft where they drafted Jamon Moore, Equimedia St. Brown, Alan Lazard, or excuse me, Alan Lazard, um, Marcos Valdez-Scantling, they bring in Kumro too. So it's like they had guys where one of them had to hit. Jamon Moore is not even on a team anymore. I think he was maybe on the Browns practice squad at one point. EQ is, was a surprising scratch last week. Um, see how he's doing to come back. But it looks like MVS has always been that lead dog ever since um, after their first preseason together. It's kind of Jamon Moore at the time. MVS kind of took the reins on that. But if he can develop into you know, that second or third receiver, I don't really care which one it is. I would probably give the nod no matter what to Alan Lazard throughout this year. But I think it opens up the possibility for a more dynamic offense with the floor. You saw that a lot on Sunday against the Vikings. They're able to stretch the field wide, which is great. They're also able to add, you know, you see Tyler Irvin in there, you see 32, you're like, okay, either he's going to get the ball in the jet sweep or it's going to be a fake. And now if you can get MVS in the field doing that, he did a little bit last year. Alan Lazard got to do a little bit this um, on week one, but I think it just opens up the possibilities of the, the offense to be even that more dynamic. And he's a deep threat. I mean, they saw that it took the shots with Rodgers. And if you know, Adams is more of that quick twitch guy and Lazard, more of a big body possession receiver, they get MBS to run some deep post routes streaks. Like that's going to be huge um, to let Aaron Rodgers sling it on a one-on-one coverage. He's Matt Freilich. Uh, he is a co-host of the Pack-A-Day podcast. Join us here on the Turning Points podcast. I'm Jake Rongholt, writer for Pro Football Action. You can tweet me at at Sports. You can tweet Matt at at Matt 
underscore fra underscore. Let's get into the defense here for a minute because I, I heard the word garbage touchdowns, but I saw something that really alarmed me. What was the thing that made you worry the most about this defense? Uh, I recorded a podcast earlier today. His name's Tom Green. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe people haven't, but he's from the Detroit area. And mm-hmm. he said the keys to the game. And I said, I have three keys. It's run defense, run defense, run defense. Like that's it. And I mean, I've previewed the 2020 season pretty heavily with some people and done a full you know, uh, preview with Packers worldwide guys. And really they have a tough go with good running offenses, good offensive lines. And I would say the Vikings, when I previewed the, the season was probably middle of the road. Um, you know, they have a top tier running back, but that offensive line is possibly in the top half of the league. And if they're getting run on like that, um, you know, they're lucky they got out to a, a fast or, you know, a big lead with some defensive plays. Otherwise, it, they probably would have been, you know, Vikings defense or Vikings offense would have been in the game a little bit more. And they probably would have been able to establish a run more with Cook and Madison the way they did. So I'm just hoping for run defense. And um, I didn't see anything today. I did see it yesterday on Kenny Clark on that groin. He didn't practice yesterday. Not sure what he did today. but he's not in there wow i imagine it's going to be uh some swiss cheese out there that took what my buddy tom green but i mean ap deandre swift i'm, I'm concerned uh what the, the running attack could look like for the detroit lions on sunday how is it that they can't fix this run defense this was such a problem last year they like how a fackrell go they let blake martinez go to the new york giants they bring in christian kirksey chris barnes has a good game but still, this run defense is still alarming to see. What is going on in Green Bay? I have no idea, honestly. I, I think, so I have two thoughts. One, they clearly like the players they have and that they have drafted. Kinsley Kiki, Montrevious Adams, Tyler Lancaster, Dean Lowry. Um, obviously, Kenny Clark is a stud there, but that's about it. In my, I mean, maybe Sean Gary, maybe Zadarius Smith. If you want to say they can stop the run if they put their, you know, hand in the dirt, what have you. But I don't think that's where you want to have them in run support all the time. So I think they're really confident the guys they've brought in, drafted. And on the second part of that, it's like, well, I don't believe in them as much as a Packer fan and someone that observes the team pretty heavily. And then especially if they're only going to bring in Trayvon Hester, Daylon Mack, and like that's it. Like, you got to have something other than that. Those guys are not really run stuffers. I mean, Mac's a huge, thick kind of BJ Raji uh, physique, but I don't think he's going to impact the game at all. So they must really believe in these guys that they've drafted. Um, but I don't. And I don't really know how it's going to get fixed because is, is Snacks Harrison really going to get signed? I'm pretty much done hearing that from Packers Twitter over the last two, three months. So, um, yeah. I don't really know what the answer is, to be honest with you, Jake. It's kind of weird. Normally, I have at least some sort of like, oh, they could do this. They could do this. They can switch this up. But like, I mean, they can sell out more on the run. That's about all you can do. Uh, but then you're you know, susceptible to deep shots or one-on-one coverage. And that's usually not the best option for, for a defense. Who should the Packers be prepping for more? Adrian Peterson or Matthew Stafford? I'm going to go AP. Um, you know, that's no disrespect to Matt Stafford, but with Kenny Galladay banged up, it looks like he didn't have a full practice on Thursday today. Uh, Marvin Jones is a solid receiver. He's torched the Packers from time to time in the past. I am worried a little about TJ Hawkinson, but 
know, AP had a great game last week and that was off of what just being signed to the team five days ahead of time. Like it's so, I mean, that just goes to show what a stud Adrian Peterson really is. Like he's just incredible. Um, you know, if it's maybe fourth quarter, last couple minutes left, Matthew Stafford's got to get down for some points. I like him then, but I think the Packers are able to get after him a little bit. Um, he's a tough dude, but I am, you know, I would, I don't know who's better offensive line wise between the lions and the Redskins of 2019, but I just I have flashbacks of Adrian Peterson running rampant against the Packers last year with that Redskins offensive line. And really it was a rookie quarterback at the time who actually had a sprained ankle during that, during that huge drive where they just went down and pound the rock. So I would, I would probably tip my hat still to the, uh, the, the not even, I guess he's kind of a journeyman at this point, Adrian Peterson. What did you think of Aaron Rodgers' performance against that Vikings defense? Incredible. Like that's besides Jair's play and just like some of the young guys, Ray Sean Gary flying around and Chris Barnes, like it's Rodgers just looks like like he's got it again. And I think it's a combination of things. I think, you know, say what you want about his personal life. Sometimes I do feel like he he is kind of an emotional person, so he is affected by that in, in all honesty. So, um, and also just like the work relationship now he has with Matt LaFleur, someone in his same demographic, someone that kind of is, you know, younger, trying to learn, trying to innovate things, open to change, where Mike McCarthy was kind of set in his ways after his his tenure with the Packers. And they just obviously that, that relationship fizzled out. Um, again, say what you want about the Jordan Love selection. I'm not as irritated about it as I was back when it happened. I think it's good. Um, and I also think just you saw just the fun he was having in training camp with Tim Boyle. Like they were they were trying to go get that like WWF belt. Like they were they were like between between them two and then uh was it Robin and Brooke Lopez? Like those guys are trying to it's between that would be a cool take team match. But um but in all seriousness, like Aaron Rodgers is pissed off. He's motivated, he looks healthy, and he looks like he just like understands himself and he's very centered right now. So it's a it, the rest of the NFL should take notice. And I hope he continues to ride that momentum throughout this rest of the year. He's Matt Freilich joining us here. He is a co-host of the Pack-A-Day podcast, also works for Packers Worldwide, I just found out. How about that? I'm, okay. Jake, Rung- oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm Jake Rungholtz, and you can tweet me at, at Rungholtz Sports. Uh, Trent Duffer was on the Ryan Rosillo show this week, and he had an interesting take about what he said about Jordan Love. Did Aaron Rodgers really need motivation from a first-round draft pick of a quarterback? I don't know Aaron Rodgers well enough to give a great answer on that. Um, some people are, you know, some people like to have that competition like that. Like he probably knows that he, Tim Boyle is never going to steal his job. Right. Like it's in their buddies. Like they're going <laughs> to no. go back and forth. And it's just, no. you kind of sometimes have those people you maybe in work or whatever. You're just like, ah, good guy. I know, but I'm not intimidated by this person. And then when you see your business or your owner or your boss, or your organization, go out and acquire some sexy free agent or sexy new hire. You're like, okay, like this guy's younger. He's maybe a little quicker than me. Sure. He's underdeveloped. And I was too coming out of California. Right. I mean, you go back and look at some of that old tape. I watched some during quarantine, watch some old games. and like, Holy hell, Rogers delivery and everything. Footwork <laughs> is just awful. And like, I, I, Aaron Rodgers can fix it. Why can't Jordan love? Um, so I think it, it's, 
yeah, I think that he's he's got some competition and he, he enjoys it. Um, but he he probably realizes it's not as close of a threat as we all thought it could have been back in April and May. Um, it's it's not as you know in the near future as everyone thought, especially people saying they should trade Aaron Rodgers and start Jordan Love. <laughs> we're all bored. We're all we're all going a little stir crazy, right? Um, but yeah. I, I think it, I think it did. I guess I talked myself into it. I think it did motivate him a little bit. I still don't understand it. I mean, until Aaron Rodgers leaves the city of Green Bay, it's his team. It's Mr. Rogers' neighborhood for a reason. I mean, that's the, the fact of it. He already has the foundation. He has the buildings around. Everybody loves him. He walks around the city of Green Bay and they all say, good morning, Mr. Rogers. How's it going today? Yeah, pretty much at that point. Mm-hmm. Um We've heard the same thing about Matt LaFleur. Is this a run-first offense or is this a pass-happy offense? What really is the definition of a Matt LaFleur-led offense? That's a great question. Um, I think we saw a lot of what it looked like in the first game this year. I think you say they kind of expanded on what they did last year. Maybe with some new pieces, maybe with some players understanding the playbook a little bit more. You know, and let's let's look back like he's from the coaching tree of Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan. A lot of that had to do with the run game, but it's um, like a deceptive run game. You want to get players moving in the wrong direction. You want to have those instinctive linebackers, those creeping up box safeties, having to move lateral and not moving to fill a gap um, where Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams are foreseeable. AJ Dillon will be running through. So um, to basically just kind of make, no one, you don't want those guys like Harrison Smith, Earl Thomas, um, creeping up in the box and kind of anticipating things. I think you could do that a lot with Mike, Mike McCarthy's offense. You knew it was probably going to get passed more often than that. You knew certain looks were going to give you um, the same results. So it's it's really comes down to the, I guess, keeping everyone on their heels, pounding the rock, and then taking your shots when you're able to get them with either it's deception or rollout or just kind of letting Aaron Rodgers do what he does. How would you scout AJ Dillon against the lions? I mean, I hope he, I hope he gets more looks than he did against the Vikings. I'm not too, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't see how he's, I mean, they would have to be kind of a goal line situation or short yards. They would put him in, or even the game gets out of hand, but it just, you didn't see a lot of work for him. Um, might take some time. He's a rookie. Didn't have a lot of that, you know, that training camp or that preseason like most rookies would get. Um, you know, running back's a pretty easy position to learn and transition from the college game to the NFL from what I've heard and what we've seen over the years. So um, he might get some more work, but I, I, would, I don't think he's going to be a, a too much of a factor um, in only his second NFL game. How much more work will Aaron Jones get compared to against Minnesota? Good question. Um, I would say a little bit less. I had to guess. Um, Jamal Williams had a big game. I remember last year in the second game versus the Lions. I looked it up today. Um, he had 100 yards in Detroit, 25 carries. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't recall if Aaron Jones was banged up in that game, but I would say he gets a little bit less than he did in the Minnesota game. Um, just to kind of pound that, that Lions defense down. I think they're going to get out to an early start just because the secondary is a little bit banged up right now for the, the Lions. Desmond Trufant didn't practice today. Uh, Jeff Okuda is supposed to get his first NFL start, but um, I think they could get out to an early lead and then just be able to pound the rock with whoever they want to. And I think they'll start trickling in that Jamal Williams, Aaron 
or excuse me, AJ Dillon. Um, Outside of Devontae Adams and Marquez Valdez Scantling, name a wide receiver or a tight end we should be watching out for this weekend. I would have probably said, if you'd asked me a couple of weeks, I would have probably said Jay Sternberger. Um, but he oh. didn't really look, he didn't really look that great in week one. I mean, he did get some opportunities and they moved him around a little bit. Um, I didn't see anything that impressed me too much. I, it sucks to say it. And I'm going to say Josiah DeGuara just because he was, making, ah. you know, he, he didn't have a ton of plays in week one. Yeah. I've been, that's been my least favorite pick Jake throughout the whole entire draft <laughs> process. Like third round pick, probably going to got him in the fourth. Maybe even the fifth. Oh man, I love that but, pick, and, that, and that's fair. That's I, I love. I I love that pick because I got to see him play against UCF on Friday night, and I just sat back and went, "Who's this guy?" I mean, this is the same school. This is the same place where you know the likes of you know Travis Kelsey came from. So I was wondering, huh? Okay, Josiah Deguara, and then Deguara put up this an amazing double tandem block on one of the Vikings in the second quarter. So I sat back and went, well, is this guy going to get the ball more? Because he has the stats to prove it at Cincinnati. Right, right. And um, if I would have watched more Cincinnati Bearcats tape, I probably would uh, agree with you. You obviously saw more than I did in college. There's a few highlights. <laughs> I'm in Orlando. What can you expect? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, if Matt LaFleur's <laughs> raving about him, it's like you got you to gotta kind of believe him at some point. Like there is that, you know, that old kind of boost the rookie's confidence a little bit and kind of maybe overhype him a little bit to build his confidence up, but it's, it's continued to happen. He obviously got the opportunities um, in week one. He's versatile. They were, they, and they actually showed that he's versatile. They lined him up. That block was incredible for, I really like, it sounds crazy, but like, as soon as I saw that block, like it, Josiah DeGuara went up a couple notches in my book. So yeah. that's, that's someone I would look for. Maybe he gets involved in the passing game in week two. The national media has torn apart the Packers throughout the offseason. What is the factor fiction? Did the Packers truly need a, another wide receiver to be drafted? Be honest. I would say, I would say, yeah, they probably okay. did because you're, you're one toe injury, one calf strain from Devonte Adams going out. And all of a sudden, Alan Lazard, your number one, which I think is okay with you when you have Aaron Rodgers. Um, MVS is your number two. And then at that point, like, it's kind of scary. Granted, it's fine. We're not in the Mike McCarthy spread them out three, four wide receivers. But the real big issue I had, Jake, was just, just the depth at receiver. My 30 years of life, never have I remembered, you know, I haven't watched football that entire time. But even looking back, like, there's never been a, deeper wide receiver class. And then for them not to go value, 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 take a guy maybe in the third, fourth, fifth round that slips down. It it just, it was, it was pretty wild to me, to be honest. I, it's shocking, um, but it goes kind of back to the defensive line thing, right? Like they believe in the guys they drafted. They believe in MVS. They believe in Alan Lazard. They believe in Equimania St. Brown, whenever he can get his butt on the field. So you gotta, you gotta, I guess, Trust the process, I guess, but I, I, I was pretty shocked that they didn't. I mean, they got they got Devin Funches, which is fine, but yeah, I mean, he kind of fits that Packers mold a little bit, or what mm-hmm. they're trying to do with you know, um, the thicker, taller receivers and block the edge and go up for a ball. But yeah, it was I was pretty shocked to be honest. Let's go to the defense for a moment. We talked about the run defense early on. I want to get into the pass defense. What impressed you the most about the Smith brothers? guys just get after it, man. Like they don't, they have such high motors. They're able to line up in different spots. 
um, whether it be over the center, on the edge, with their hand down the dirt, like they just they just dominate. And the energy they have invigorated the Matt Lafleur era such so quickly is just. I think that's. I don't want to say it's it overlooked, but just the what Matt Lafleur did in such short time to change a culture in a locker room, bringing in new guys, like, and those guys just all of a sudden are like, we're going to be the dudes. And it just took it. And basically we're like, we'll take all the attention. Everyone else can do their thing. Cause like, we love it. And we love to be, you know, characters and have huge personalities. So, um, I, I can't say enough good things about the acquisitions of Zedarius and Preston. He's Matt Freyla, co-host of the Pack a Day podcast. Also works for Packers Worldwide. Joining us here on the Turning Points podcast. What does the loss of Lane Taylor do for the Packers' offensive line? Well, it definitely, definitely get to move some pieces around. I mean, it's nice to have the luxury of just having having a couple linemen. I mean, you drafted three. Um, I, I was surprised Jake Hansen didn't make the squad, but. That's here nor there. I think John Runyon Jr. is going to make an impact a lot earlier than he expected, as he said this week. Um, Rick Wagner will get some shot. Billy Turner and Lucas Patrick is healthy. So it sucks because Lane Taylor is very, in my eyes, like he's not the greatest guard ever. Um, he was solid. It, it almost kind of reminds me of maybe of like a Brian Bulaga. Like when he's healthy, you, you liked him. When he's unhealthy, you're pissed off. They even have them on the team, but it's, it's nice luxury to be able to have some pieces. They can move around. How could I forget Elton Jenkins? I mean, the <laughs> versatility of him, right? Like Unbelievable. that's, that's, that helps so much. And like, now you have, you have guys, you can kind of mix and match anywhere. And if you can do it on the fly week one, like I'm, I'm extremely impressed with that. They were able to do that. Um, so it's, it's in a normal Packers offensive line year, I'd be pretty paranoid. But they did pretty darn well, considering the have to piece it together with two linemen out at the time. And then, you know, sucks that Lane Taylor's gone to see what his future is. But um, I think they'll be able to adjust. Elton Jenkins now goes back to guard. Who's going to be dependent in the right tackle position? I have to think it's Rick Wagner, right? Like it, it would be it'd be wild for him not to be there. That's that's just that's the way I see it playing out. I see Billy Turner going back to, to right guard. If that's how it's, or maybe Runyon gets a shot there, but um, I think Wagner on the edge makes more sense to me than Billy Turner. Final question. So we don't have fans in the stands, but are we at least going to have stadium view open Crolls open so we can get those delicious butter burgers? Please, Matt, please tell me when I come to green Bay this weekend, I can have a butter burger. You should be able to well, <laughs> butter because they serve the butter burgers outside. That little concession, right? Thing. So yes. you might be solid that way. You don't have to inside the restaurant. So I that's think that's like a that's a hundred percent go. Like stadium view, I'm assuming it'll have a capacity if you want to go inside, but it's bigger now. Like it's it's crazy. I don't know the last time you've been there, but the last three years they've renovated. It's if you've oh. been there, Jake, in the last couple of years, it looks completely different. You would think you're in a different universe of stadium view. I swear to God. Like it's, it's nuts. So definitely gonna have to check that out if it's open. But again, I don't, I mean, from what I've heard, I was, you know, I'm pretty close to my ear to the, to the, to the streets around here and listen to the news and the beat writers and the you know, local stations. Like I haven't heard of anything of there's going to be like limits on the bars and stuff. And I just feel like that would suck if you're like, again, a, a small business owner, a restaurant or a bar owner, like not only is there no fans, there's like, 
I don't know, probably a hundred thousand less people maybe that are going to be coming between just people that come to watch the game, people that go to the game. And then you're going to tell someone, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't have up to your, you know, capacity that the, the, the fire chief lets you have. You only can have 200 people or a hundred people or whatever. Like how, how are you going to control that? Like it's impossible. So, um, I would imagine, unfortunately, there's probably going to be a little bit of a spike in COVID tests, um, or COVID related, um, coronavirus whatever outbreak a little bit more i would assume um wisconsin's been a hotbed for it. brown county has not been the, the best and i think you just get that many people in a confined area it's uh probably gonna be an issue but people love the packers and they'll they'll do anything for the packers as we know so what you're telling me is mask up all right mask up, mask up. okay even if i'm gonna get one of those butter burgers i don't know he's matt fraley co-host of the pack a day podcast tweet him at, at matt underscore fra underscore or you can tweet me at at wrong sports matt thank you so much for being on the the turning points podcast why wow, i completely forgot about what the heck my podcast was called but thanks so much <laughs> for joining us here and i'll see you in green bay Appreciate you having me, man. Nice to see you this weekend. All right. Yeah. All right. That was Matt Frey. Like, oh, my goodness. It's so much fun to have with him. Sometimes, I mean, I was, this is our first time we actually did this now. And this is the first time that I actually interviewed Matt Frey. Like, I I mean, we've talked uh, for the last couple of months. We found out that Matt Rukamp was getting married to my cousin this weekend. And I thought to myself, well, why don't I just get him on here? He's very intelligent. If you have not listened to him on the Pack-A-Day podcast, please take a chance on it. All right, that was Matt Freilich of the Pack-A-Day podcast. You can tweet him at at Matt Fra. That's Matt underscore Fra underscore. All right, let's get to our final guest of the week of September 18th, 2020. He is from the Lockdown Chiefs podcast, Chris Clark. I've known him for years. He's come on my show and uh, he had a lot of great things to say about what to expect from the Chiefs, but you won't believe who he believed was the second most important signing outside of Patrick Mahomes. So enjoy. Here's Chris Clark, Lockdown Chiefs podcast on the Turning Points podcast, where we tell both sides the story. There is no right. There is no wrong. Just facts to both sides. Let's get to it. Now let's head off to the AFC, and that is the Kansas City Chiefs. Now they're getting ready for a game against the Los Angeles Chargers. But in case you've been living under a rock, the Chiefs are the most talked about team in the NFL, strictly because, you know, they're two-time Super Bowl champions. So I thought I would bring on my good friend from Lockdown Chiefs Podcast. You can tweet him at, at Chris Clark NFL. He now joins us live on the line. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Patrick Mahomes just celebrated his 25th birthday. If you are celebrating your birthday, and you've already made $503 million over the next 10 years, what would you do? <laughs> Man, I'd be taking some vacations. That's all I got to say. <laughs> uh, congratulations to him. That's a great deal. Uh, and I, honestly, I think it ends up being a great deal for Kansas City as well. What does this do for Kansas City in the future? You know, I think the biggest thing you have to look at with this deal is it gave them uh, what they know exactly what they're going to be spending on their QB for the next 10 years. Uh, He is under contract for a very long time. They can now go and build the roster around him and build the team around him uh, and bring in the pieces that they want. Uh, They they also just signed Andy Reid and Brett Beach to contract extensions as well. So they will be here for the long term as well. What what uh, role does Brett Beach have into this? 
Well, he was the he is the GM in Kansas City. Uh, he is in charge of all the drafting of all the players and signing contracts. Although uh, Brent Tillis, I think, was the mastermind of this contract with Patrick Mahomes. And honestly, if you look at the contract, the funny thing is, is they signed Mahomes to a five hundred three million dollar contract, and his cap number I don't think really changed in, at all this year. Um, they're basically not giving him any extra money until next year. Uh, they may have like moved up his salary to be a bonus instead, but it's still going to all be accounted for the same for the salary cap. And Mahomes gave him that ability for this year and next year because of the financial struggles that COVID's going to cause. Outside of Mahomes, what was the second most important signing for the Chiefs' future? You know, I think if you look at bringing in, bringing back Chris Jones, I think he also looked at this and, and said, okay, I want to be in Kansas City, and Kansas City is going to give me the money that I think that I deserve to play under, and uh, I'm okay with going with, you know, a little bit less this year that I could have got probably elsewhere, uh, because he signed a deal that kept him on the same numbers as franchise tag. <laughs> Uh, that allowed them to bring it back Travis Kelsey under a, a revised deal as well. So, you know, you look at all these people that are making deals in Kansas City, they want to be here, they want to play with Patrick, uh, and they want a chance to win multiple Super Bowl rings. He's Chris Clark, Locked on Chiefs podcast. Join us here on the Turning Points podcast where we tell both sides of the story. I'm Jake Rongholt. I should have introduced myself once again. Uh, I'm writer for Pro Football Action. Uh, let's talk about the draft here for a moment. They already had Damian Williams. He looked great in the Super Bowl. But why did the Chiefs draft Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, with their pick? You know, I think you look at what's this offense really missed and they were very good in the passing game. They struggled in the running game. Part of that's their blocking needed to improve. And I think that they're working on that, but also Clyde Edwards Hilaire is a completely different type of running back than Damian Williams. I think he gives them a guy that is fantastic catching the ball out of the backfield, which we didn't even see in week one. And that's the funny thing. He had a great game in week one, but we didn't even see him do what he does best. Uh, we did see him stick his foot in the ground and juke somebody out of his jock strap. So that was fun. His juke and quick cuts are incredible to see. How high is the ceiling for Edwards Hilaire this year? I'm not going to put the ceiling at Kareem Hunt a couple of years ago when he was a rookie, but I'd say it's pretty close. Uh, you look at what he has the ability to do and the fact that he's probably going to be the workhorse. I do think that they're going to use Daryl Williams a lot as well, but uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire just gives them something different on offense. And that's scary to say, considering Kansas City already has uh, three pretty good pass catchers outside of uh, Edwards Hilaire, and that's not even counting Michael Hardman either. Outside of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, who are some other wide receivers to look out for this year? Well, you got Sammy Watkins still, and I think he's going to have a better year than he had last year. You know, the question with him is, is he going to stay healthy the entire year, but he does bring something different to this offense. And then you have Michael Hardman, who has speed to burn, uh, almost like Hill, not quite as fast, but uh, I think he's going to be brought along. I think he's going to be very successful in this offense. What would the Chiefs take away from that big win over the Texans going into week two? You know, honestly, it sounds like they're taking away things that I actually would love to hear them take away, which is we can still get better. We can still look better on defense. We can still be more sound. And, and you know, those garbage points that were scored in the fourth quarter, they weren't happy with. Uh, that's really the message that you want to hear from a team. Even after the, the win that they had, they are not happy with what they did. What did this mean to Kansas City winning their first Super Bowl since 1970 back when Len Dawson beat the Minnesota Vikings? 
It meant a lot to Kansas City, and I think it meant a lot to this entire organization and this entire town. I mean, you look at Patrick Mahomes, he's already stamped his name in football lore in Kansas City for ever now at this point. He's just turned 25 years old. He already owns part of the Royals as well. Uh, he obviously wants to stay in the Kansas City area and um, – you know, he's bringing a Whataburger to Kansas City as well. So, you know, he's he's got a lot of people that are on his side, and uh, he seems to do it right. He really just seems to fit in this Kansas City area. And, and everything I've heard about him and everything that I keep uh, seeing and, and hearing him talk about uh, just makes me very excited to have him here for the long haul. How can the Chiefs repeat as Super Bowl champions? I think you're going to see the defense continue to improve. I think what you saw week one, uh, and I kind of talked about this on the Locked on Chiefs podcast, was you know it's going to be very hard for defenses specifically uh, to really be ready to go and hit the ground running in week one through probably week four or five because you don't have any preseason games. Uh, training camp, you're not really tackling people to the ground. You're not really getting physical as physical with people as you will in a game. So getting back into that shape and getting back into that mentality is going to take some time. I think it will get better. uh, And I expect the chiefs defense to be better than they showed against the Texans at times. How did the chiefs prepare for this season with all of the COVID-19 concerns and rules going forward? How did they be able to stay together as a team? Well, I think what you look at it and you, they have three players that opted out for COVID. Uh, you know, they had a, a rookie tackle that I thought was going to play, a, a, you know, at least as a swing tackle on this defense, or I'm sorry, on the offense. And then they had, you know, Laurent Duvernay Tardif opt out uh, to go be a doctor. And, and I can't, I have nothing but respect for him for doing that. I get it. Uh, and then, you know, Damian Williams opted out too. Uh, and it came out that his mom has cancer. That's why he opted out. Mm-hmm. He wants to be be able to be around her, and I get that as well. Uh, so a lot of respect there. You know, I think Kansas City was one of the teams that the NFL really tried to uh, get information from. They really respect uh, the way the training staff does things in Kansas City. And, you know, the Chiefs are just trying to do things the best way that they can, keep people separate as much as they can, test as much as, not, as necessary, and follow the guidelines that they have. And, you know, at it, this point, it seems to be working pretty well. Uh, who are they having to replace Duvernay Tardif this season? So Andrew Wiley has actually moved to right guard. Uh, he was one of their backup offensive linemen last year. He played a lot of left guard uh, in previous years, but he's also played in right guard when when Duvernay Tardif was out with injury. Uh, I think he actually plays better at right guard than he does left guard. Uh, but that also brings in another guy at left guard, which is Kalecha Osimile. And I think he is going to be a lot of fun to watch for Chiefs fans because we have not had somebody that is mu- as much of a mauler and road raider as Osimile is. He's Chris Clark, Lockdown Chiefs podcast, joining us here on Turning Points, where we tell both sides of the story. I'm Jake Rongholt, writer for Pro Football Action. Let's go to the defense for a moment. What is the biggest difference to this year's front seven compared to last year's? Well, I think the biggest thing that you're going to be looking at when you start looking at this defense and, and talking about the front seven is, you know, the question marks still at linebacker are still there from last year. Uh, you know, you look at defensive end, I don't think Kansas City's really figured out what they want to do opposite of Frank Clark. Uh, Tano Passanio is the guy that they've they're been using right now, and Alex Okafor's out with an injury. Uh, they did sign Taco Charlton in the offseason, but he wasn't active for week one, so I'm not sure what they're going to do with that direction. Uh, and again, really the bigger thing with all of this is we're going off of one game 
uh, when normally we would have, uh, you know, four or five games worth of information right now in training camp and actually being able to be at training camp and watch them practice and have an idea for really where people are. We don't have any of that this year. So uh, I think that is really kind of hurts, uh, you know, teams being able to get their information out there or it's helped them because some teams like Kansas City has really kept have really kept all their information inside and you just really didn't know what to expect until week one. Uh, a report came out yesterday that one fan tested positive for COVID-19. What are the Chiefs doing about that? So it sounds like they're doing contract tra- contact tracing and they are trying to uh, alert as many people as they can about that. So I do think that that's going to be something that if you're going to have fans in the stands, you're probably going to have that issue pop up from time to time. Um, I think it's the reality of the world we live in today and, you know, you have to take your precautions. But if they're going to have fans in the stands, it's something that's going to happen. Cleveland had 6,000 fans last night. How many fans were actually at that Kansas City game last week? I believe it's close to 16,000. Um, I believe. I, I would have to go back and check, but I think that's what they were wanting to do. And I think that they basically had it set up to where you were in pods. Uh, and you, know, you look at what Kansas City was able to do, and, and it didn't sound like you had the whole stadium there. Um, but you did have a lot of fans that showed up and a lot of fans that were still noisy uh, at that game. So that was still impressive from a from a Chiefs perspective. It's Chris Clark, Locked on Chiefs podcast, joining us here on Turning Points. Andy Reid was praising somebody. I didn't I didn't expect him to do this week, but he praised the rookie out of Louisiana Tech, Legereus Sneed, this week. What is so special about this rookie? So Snead is a guy that I think is going to be a lot, uh, is going to get a lot of playing time in the first four weeks with Bashad Breland out. And now, right now, Shavarius Ward is out as well. Uh, the question is, he didn't practice on Friday. So it's probably a situation where he might not even play this week. So you're going to be looking at Snead maybe being, uh, maybe their default number one corner at this point. Um, that's kind of a scary situation, but at the same time with the way he played last week, I think that you have to feel pretty comfortable with that. He didn't seem like the game was uh, above his head and he really did very well. And he got his first interception, although it was kind of a gimme uh, from the way it was thrown and, and Tyron Matthew getting it punched up in the air for him. But you look at what Snead gives you, he's very physical at the line and he has a lot of speed. And I think that's really going to help at times. The bigger question with Snead is, going, is how he's going to fare against guys like Keenan Allen, uh, who is a fantastic route runner and a good wide receiver. So it'll be very interesting to watch this week, although I do think that uh, regardless of the Chiefs' cornerback woes uh, with the youth that they're going to have to play this week, I think they'll be in good shape. Before Tyron Matthew got there, Eric Berry was the leader of that Chiefs' defense. What did Tyron Matthew bring to the Chiefs' defense over the last couple of years? Well, I think you look at what Tyron Matthew brings and it's mostly just attitude and it's, you know, he is always going to be in your face. He's not not going to let you take time off. And, and one of the things he was one of the guys that I was kind of referring to earlier that came out and said, you know, yeah, we're glad we won the game, but we're pissed off that we allowed all those points in the fourth quarter. I mean, he did not appreciate them allowing points in the fourth quarter. And, you know, they did have some subs in there and they did have some of the younger guys trying to get snaps. And you're going to see that type of thing with Kansas City if they get up early. I think they're trying to bring some of those those younger guys along. Uh, so that's going to happen. But he's always going to be pushing you. Matthew's always going to be pushing you to be better and trying to get you uh, to be as successful as you can and, and really push yourself. This week, they're going against the Los Angeles Chargers. They're going to be at L.A. What 
what player should they be preparing for the most? The Chiefs or the Chargers? Uh, the Chiefs against the Chargers. You know, I think the biggest thing that you have to worry about when it comes to the Chargers offensively, uh, you're going to have to worry about their their passing game. Uh, I'm not sold on Tyrod Taylor, uh, but they do have very good wide receivers and they have a good tight end. So if you can slow down their passing game, I think you'll be in good shape. Uh, when it comes to their defense, you know, they have two of the best corners, in my opinion, in, in uh, Chris Hayward and or sorry, Casey Hayward and Chris Harris Jr. So I think that that's going to be a challenge, but Kansas City's wide receivers are pretty good. So I do think that that's going to be um, probably a little bit of an advantage to Kansas City. Uh, I think that this is going to be a fun game, but I'm not sure it's going to stay close. What is a good matchup to watch out for uh, between Casey Hayward and Chris Harris? I mean, what wide receiver do you feel like could have the biggest challenge? You know, honestly, Tyree Kill is always given a challenge to you know Chris Harris Jr. when it's come to uh, him playing in Denver in the past. So I think that that could be a lot of fun to watch. Um, Michael Hardman is going to be fun. You know, when it comes to the wide receivers and tight ends for Kansas City, though, they've really never had an answer for Travis Kelsey if De- if Derwin James isn't on the field. So uh, big question as to how they're going to answer that call, and they're going to have Travis Kelsey covered uh, because he could make. He could you know, really create some hay in the middle of the field for Kansas City. How did the Chiefs beat the Chargers? You know, I think the big thing is they just have to play their game and, and be themselves. I think Kansas City has the firepower to go in and score 30 or 40 points almost every week against most of the defenses in this league. I think the Chargers are going to have a good defense, but I still don't think that they keep Kansas City under 30 points this week. Uh, and to me, I have a hard time believing that the Chargers offense is going to be that good, especially when you look at what uh, the Browns were able to do against the Bengals last night. Uh, Kansas City has more firepower than the Browns do. And the Bengals only allowed Los Angeles, I believe, 16 points week one. Uh, to me, that's going to be a big question mark. Is it, Can their offense score more than, you know, 15, 20 points? They're not going to have a chance to win the game if they can't score more than 20. Kansas City is going to score more than that, I guarantee it. If Tyrod Taylor is not doing the job, what are the chances that the Chargers could go to Justin Herbert? You know, I don't think that they're going to do that this early. Uh, but again, the big thing that we don't know is we don't know what he's looked like in training camp. I mean, we don't know what he looked like. There was obviously no preseason games, and that's really where you would have a barometer for how he was picking up an NFL offense and how he was able to move the team and how he's fitting in practice. So without really that barometer, it's really hard to say whether or not they go to Tyrod Taylor this early. I think that, you know, if they get to points, you know, they've won one game. And they're at a point where they're one to know and they're going against Kansas City. Uh, you wouldn't think that they would, you know, get to a point where they're down 20 points and decide, hey, we're going to go to the young guy right now just because you're giving up so early in the season. If you do that, the thought process would be at least that you're giving up on the season by playing him. Uh, because you would think that Tyra Taylor, if he's the starting quarterback and that's who you decided was going to be your starting quarterback, he's the better option. Who we'll wins Sunday? Kansas City, and I don't think it's close. I think it's at least <laughs> it may be a three score game. That's what I picked on the on our podcast. Is it could be a three score game? I just I don't have faith in Tyrod Taylor on the, on their offense, and uh, until he proves me wrong, that's going to be a big question mark for them. And Kansas City's offense, I really think left points on the board and really tried to focus on the run against the Texans. So I don't think that uh, they really even showed anything last week, and they might not show much this week because don't forget, not. 
this week, but next week they play the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football, and that's going to be a huge game. Ooh, yeah, I can't wait for the Chiefs and the Ravens. I might, have to, I might have to bring you back on again, Chris, just to talk about <laughs> this game. If it comes down to that, he's Chris Clark, Chiefs Podcast. Let's get a little personal here for a moment. You've been on your own personal journey. Uh, what have you done differently during this COVID-19? <laughs> I have been on my own journey. Uh, I've been trying to work out and trying to lose weight, and I lost uh, close to 95 pounds. Wow. Since uh, November, the end of November last year, uh, I gained a couple of pounds over the past couple of weeks. I haven't been able to do what I used to be doing. Uh, I was biking about 20 miles a day. Uh, bikes been in the shop for a couple of weeks, so I've gained a little bit of weight, but um, that'll come off once I'm able to get back to working out like I want to. But uh, it's been a, it's been a process. And honestly, most of it's been diet. Uh, but, you know, the working out obviously helps as well. For young sportscasters that are going through this pandemic right now, trying to get into the business, what is the biggest, what kind of advice would you give someone like that? You know, I think the biggest thing that I learned a long time ago is if you're going to do this, if you're going to do this and you want to do it well, you need to do whatever you're going to be trying to do on a daily basis, whether that's writing or it's, you know, podcasting or doing YouTube or whatever it is that you want to do, you need to, be, you need to try to do it seven days a week. Uh, and it doesn't have to be for, you know, all day, every day, obviously, you know, you've got to have a day job. If it's not paying the bills, obviously you got to go do something else. But if you write on a daily basis or if you record on a daily basis, you get to the point where it becomes second nature and you get used to it. And that was the biggest thing when I started writing was I figured out that once I got to a point where I was writing, you know, three or four articles a week and, and not necessarily writing a separate article every day, but at least working on articles on almost a daily basis, it became routine. And I felt like it just came out a little bit easier and a little bit more naturally. I'd still have to do some research, but it was a lot easier to do. Now, I've been recording podcasts daily for almost four years now, and it was a it was hard the first couple of months. Uh, you know, you, you figure out really quickly that uh, you when you sit there and you talk, it's a lot different than what you think it's going to be when you're reporting, recording a podcast. So, uh, you know, the big thing for me is just repetition and, and continuously doing what you're going to be doing and what you want to do. Chris, terrific stuff as always, and I appreciate that advice. Uh, you know, I'm kind of in the same boat right now, so I, I will take that uh, to heart uh, going forward. And uh, thank you for joining us here on the Turning Points Podcast. Hey, Jake, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Chris. coming on. Oh, absolutely. All right, that was Chris Clark, Lockdown Chiefs Podcast. You can tweet him at, at Chris Clark NFL. You don't want to miss this podcast. It's fantastic. If you're a big Chiefs fan, heck, if you're a Ravens fan next week and you want to find out what the opposers are saying, this is the podcast for you. All right, I just want to say thank you, first off, to Matt Fralick, and I want to say thank you to Chris Clark. We are going to forego our top five turning points, our right and wrong segment, unfortunately, but uh, we got some great interviews here on this uh, podcast this week, and I just want to say thank Thank you to both of them for coming on. This has been the Turning Points Podcast, where we always tell both sides of the story. There is no right, there is no wrong, just facts to both sides. I'm Jake Rongholt, and you were listening to it right here on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Anchor. Mask up, be with your friends, be with your family, and we'll see you next week. 